I think people have an image of a, of a Russian dance teacher, how strict they could be. I mean, she, yeah, she was lovely on the other hand, but she could, she was very, very strict. And I knew that right from our first group practice, I'd had my first few lessons and I did the practice. And she called me over and she was like, if you're not going to do the things that we worked on in the lesson, if you're not going to listen to me, you can go back to England because we don't need you here. And that was like the biggest shock to me. For a second, I was like, she shouldn't talk to me like that. But then the second later, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the right place. My Russian coach, she got me to stand barefoot on the marble floor, not even on the wooden sprung floor, on the hard marble cold floor for an hour and a half with my heels off the floor, my knees slightly bent. And she was on the floor and if I wobbled, or if her heel went down, she actually had a horse whip and would whip my ankles. Um, and it didn't matter if I was crying, it didn't matter if I was cramping. She was not having any excuse. I had to stay there for an hour and a half. Yeah, I'm just gonna be open and honest. It was, it's, it was a lot. It was a heck of a lot of pressure immediately put on me to get to his standard very quickly. Um, you know, obviously a six times world champion you don't want to lose the seventh it was it got tough it did get tough um i needed therapy every morning i would go to therapy which helped um i had i got eating disorders because you know i was suddenly expected to be a professional world champion what that what does that mean you're the best in everything um so you know, it just took my coach to say, you need to lose a bit of weight for me to take that to the extreme. I took it to the absolute extreme and lived off 11 espressos a day and I had eating disorders. I mean, there's a video on YouTube and you can see that I'm not like, yay! I'm not, I'm not giving it like, oh my God, we won the world championship. After, at that point, what was it? 26 years of training and everything that I'd gone through in the past few years um, and also a few years before that training wise and stuff like you can see that I'm quite serious on the podium and I think through my mind I'm going was that worth it? and also I was going I was also probably going did I dance my best? and then also in my mind I'm going okay that's that done next it's, it was a weird day, so weird. I believe everything, I am one of them people who believes everything in life happens for a reason and I was meant to go through all that and I was meant to win the World Championship. So there was literally nothing that I would change about my past. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach and author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, 
how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlocked Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to a very special edition of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today, I am delighted to welcome World Forum Dancing Champion, Strictly Champion, and musical theatre star, Joanne Clifton, to the podcast. You'll probably know Joanne best for her appearances on the hit TV show, Strictly Come Dancing. In the US and other countries, that's Dancing with the Stars. Between 2014 and 2016, she appeared as a professional dancer every week on the BBC show, winning the Christmas special with pop singer Harry Judd in 2015 and the iconic Strictly Trophy with TV presenter Aurea Duba in 2016. Since then, she's forged a successful career on stage, starring in shows as diverse as Thoroughly Modern Millie, Flashdance and The Rocky Horror Show. But the part of Joanne's life that we don't get to hear so much about is before her TV career, and it's actually where I know her the best. Born and brought up in the fishing port town of Grimsby, she became one of the very best ballroom dancers the UK has ever produced. Joanne won the British Championship five times, the Italian Championship three times, the European Professional Championship, and finally the World Professional Showdance Championship in 2013. I'm absolutely fascinated to discover more about the mindset of that person who became the very best in the world and the unlocked moment that led to a radical career change. Joanne, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Well, thank you for having me. I'm actually really excited to talk about it because I don't actually talk about that part of my career that much. And just hearing you read enough on what I have actually achieved, it's not that I've forgotten, but I don't say it that much or hear it that much or talk about it. So it was actually quite weird hearing you listing off all those achievements. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, yeah. That person <laughs> sounds really interesting. I'd like to be friends with them. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about where your dancing career started. How old were you when you started dancing? Well, I'm from a dancing family, so Strictly fans will know that my, I have an older brother called Kevin, who is also a dancer, but my parents were dancers, my auntie, my grandparents on my dad's side. So it was basically nearly all of us were dancers. So I kind of, well, the thing was, my parents didn't want us to get into dancing as much since they'd been through it and noticed the sacrifices and how much it was going to cost and all of this. Um, but they had a dance school up in Grimsby. And when my grandparents couldn't look after us, we had to go to their classes as kids. So my brother started joining in. And because he's the older one, I kind of just copied him and we kind of would join in with the dance classes. And mum and dad were kind of like, oh, well, they really enjoy it. So let's go for it. And that's how it all started. So I was like four and Kevin was five when we did our first competition, which we won because we were the only ones in it. <laughs> That's the best way. That's the, the easiest way to win a competition, for sure. I was also four years old when I first started dancing, actually. I went to I went to classes. You weren't allowed to start till you were five, but my older brothers also were in those classes. And I think they felt sorry for me and, and, and allowed me in when I was four years old. Yeah. I didn't do my first competition till I was about nine. How old were you when you first started competing? The well, first one was, was I was four. I was in an Alice in Wonderland dress um from Disney <laughs> I was just in a little Alice in Wonderland dress and my brother was in a little um, bow tie and a shirt and trousers um yeah so we started comp competition straight away um I guess mum and dad just threw us in the deep end yeah and were you, were you competitive when you were little I wasn't competitive throughout so I danced with my brother until we were about I was gonna, I'm gonna say 13 and 14 or something like that 
Um, and I wasn't competitive throughout that whole time. He was. He was, like, proper competitive. He would throw tantrums in the car if we hadn't got the uh, result that we wanted on the way home. I didn't mind that much. I was just enjoying life and just, like, going copying him, really. I wasn't that bothered. Um, so, no, I wasn't competitive at all, really, as a kid. I mean, it was so weird because now I'm a, a stage performer and we've kind of me and my brother have kind of almost swapped personalities he was really outgoing and really um really like facial expressions and and all this I was very shy I I never used to smile when I used to dance there was literally as a kid I was it was really hard for my dad to get any kind of performance out of me I was just going along with the music kind of thing um but now I'm the more outgoing one and Kevin's the more introvert so it's it's, it's weird how we've swapped it's a really interesting story. I think we're going to we're going to talk through around this sort of mindset shift through your through your life actually. So so then you got to your mid teenage years, and at at some point you decided you wanted to retake it seriously, and you ended up moving to Italy. In two minds, really, I wanted to do musical theatre as well. I I did have lessons in singing and acting as well. And I loved it, um, but. At that time, actually, I between going to Italy and dancing with my brother, I had did dance with someone else, and I they split up with me. They split up dancing with me. They decided it, and for some reason that set off a little bit of a fire in me to kind of go, well, I'll show you. So at that time, I saw a dancer in Blackpool, which is the main championships for ballroom dancers, and. I really liked the style and it was this Italian dancer called Paolo Bosco. So we wrote to the to his coach and to him to see whether he would be open to looking for a new partner and dancing with someone from England and stuff like that. Um and he and he said no. Um but the coach said the the coach said that they had someone else. Um so I went over to Bologna with my dad and tried out with this other guy who was really lovely and there was something so exciting to me about starting completely afresh like in a different country um far away from my old dance partner in a club system um and doing just ballroom which is what my family weren't doing they did ballroom but they were mainly latin my family so I went and focused on the ballroom side and there was something really exciting about that so I chose to go down the ballroom dancing route rather than going with musical theatre so a fire was lit under you by a person saying they don't want to dance with you anymore. And and the consequence of that was a girl from Grimsby, this fishing port town, but you decided to go and, and move, not just visit Bologna, but move there. I ended up moving there at 16. I think I was turning 17. So, um, but yeah, with no family uh, coming with me or anything, I, I lived in the dance school in a little like apartment attached to the side of it, which had a door into the into one of the practice halls, uh, where the coach would come bang on the door actually and say, oh, "Come on, you need to practice." Um, I moved there by myself. Didn't speak the language. I was going to say, how how fluent was your Italian at the point that you moved? None. I didn't know anything. Absolutely nothing. So I just learned when I was there, and it was weird because I did five years of German at school, and it was my best subject. I got an A star in my GCSEs, and I forgot all my German, but living in Italy, it must have taken me just about a year and a bit. I, I got fluent straight away because not many of them spoke in English at that time when I moved over. Um, so I just was listening to Italian, Italian, Italian all the time. So I had to learn quickly. And paint a picture of 
where this was that you know where in Italy this was what what, what the environment was like that that you moved into so it's a big city a small town it was it's a small little like village I would say outside of um Bologna about 40 minutes outside Bologna actually and called Molinella and basically the best way to describe it it's very flat very hot and humid uh, lots and lots of uh, mosquitoes and um I think the best way to describe it is you either walk along the road seeing like old people on bicycles or dancers dragging cases and bags. So it was basically a little village that my coach had created. He was from that village anyway, but he created this little dance, almost a little dance village for for competitors to go and live and and train there. And there was obviously there was the main studio. There was a second studio when I first moved over. Now I think there's you know, there's a gym and there's a, a yet another studio. But at the time, there was there was a gym quite close. There's a little swimming pool, lots and lots of bars and cafes and a pizzeria. It's amazing. Uh, and and people that have read my book, The Idea Mindset, I've talked a little bit about this because obviously if people know I'm, I was also a ballroom dancer. And you taught me when when my wife Mildred and I went over to to Italy. We used to go there once a month. And we used to, and we did a we did a put um, a stamina training together, didn't we? We did. You and I, you and I danced together, and I realised how completely unfit I was. <laughs> I um, so I think you were at the peak of your performance, and <laughs> I very much wasn't. Um, but no, it's an amazing place because I, I describe it to people who who don't know ballroom dancing. I say, imagine if you were a runner and you went to Kenya or Ethiopia to train with the athletes that are out there and you'd get there and you'd realize that they're all so much better than you it's not even funny but at the same time it's this completely immersive environment so the fact that it's not in a big city the fact that there are no distractions it's as you say old people on bicycles or dancers that's that's what's there um and that helped you to progress your dancing ability to to be immersed in 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 that kind of environment it was a totally different experience from um training in England I'm you know I'm not I'm not putting down the training in England that I did at all but that in England you don't have a club system you kind of like dance with your dance partner and you guys make all your decisions who you want to go for lessons with and when and how many um which competitions you do what dress you're going to wear you make all those decisions whereas in Italy I found this massive difference straight away because we had a coach and this coach made the decisions for you. You're going to have lessons with this person, this person, this person on this day, this day, this day, and you're going to do that many hours. Um, you're going to practice this many hours. Otherwise, I'm going to come knocking on the door. Uh, you're going to go to the gym. Um, you're going to have a dress that uh, suits you. Like, I don't know, if you've got a if you've got a, a big bum like me, don't put, don't put a massive big feathers on the bum. Do you know what I mean? Because you're accentuating it even more. So, you know, they kind of knew you, studied you and did what was best for you and made decisions for you. And you had to follow what your coach said. So I felt immediately that this, this massive change and that it seemed much more serious and much more focused. And we were almost treated like, well, we were like athletes. And we even had, um, we even had to go sit on Wednesdays in academy, which means we all sat at desks. So those of you who aren't dancers, you think, oh, if you train in dancing, you just train physically all the time. But no, we had a Wednesday where you would just sit at desks and learn like sports psychology, um, sports nutrition, um, technique, and, and you'd be writing down notes on it all the time. So it was very much like a university, I think, of dance. I remember coming to those and, you know, we, we spoke 
no Italian at the time we were coming, you were completely fluent at that point, but they had simultaneous translation mm. um, at the side of the room. So people that were coming in from around the world and people were coming when we were there, people were coming from Vancouver, people were coming from Vladivostok, you know, all around the world every month would come in and spend time in this environment. Um, and one of the Italian dancers was at the side of the room translating and you all had an earpiece in. You felt like you were the UN. It was yeah, crazy. well, this is the thing, like... I think so many people from all over the world would come into this school and one of the reasons why I was going as well one because it was different the, the style of dance seemed different to me um more exciting somehow more taking risks which I really liked um and two because it was it was churning out all these champions so you want to go to the place that's churning out all the world champions don't you, you want to go to that best place and that's I think what drove me to go there on my own having been quite a shy introverted child beforehand um that drove me the scene that all these world champions been from this one school and how they were dancing that was the drive that I was like do you know what I want to be like that so I, that's why I went there and one of the things I always found fascinating about about the school was the influence of the two people that led the school one was the husband and wife couple one was Italian one was Russian and and I always felt like they brought something different from one another with with something of their influence what did what do you take from that mix of Italian and Russian mindset in the way the schools run? Um, yeah, well, the the Russian definitely, if you imagine, I think people have an image of a, of a Russian dance teacher, how strict they could be. I mean, she, yeah, she was lovely on the other hand, but she could, she was very, very strict. And I knew that right from our first group practice, I'd had my first few lessons and I did the practice and she called me over and she was like, if you're not going to do the things that we worked on in the lesson, if you're not going to listen to me, you can go back to England because we don't need you here. And that was like the biggest shock to me coming from a place where the teachers in England obviously are, are amazing, but they're very much like, OK, that was a bit better. Let's try it again to you can go back to where you came from. I was in so much shock and I think I just realised, oh my gosh, I'm in a completely different world here. So yeah, she was very, very strict with me from the word go. And when she said that to you, what what did it make you think or do? I was, I was actually shocked, yes. For a second I was like, she shouldn't talk to me like that. But then the second later I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the right place because I actually liked it, having someone take complete control and, and give me direction of how to get where I wanted to be um, and just be brutally honest. It was kind of kind of refreshing in a way. Um, so yeah, I, I was a bit hurt at first because I wasn't used to it, but then I was like, I'm, in, I'm definitely in the right place. And it, straight away, I toughened up, which is one thing that I will always thank them for, toughening me up. Tell me about the intensity of the work compared with what you were doing back in England were you were you dancing longer hours were you, when you were training were you doing more rounds more dances you know what was that like I mean from the word go it was you know when we had as I said the coach came, would come and knock on the door if we slept in too long you know 8 30 they'd come and bang on the door and knock and say you need to be out there practicing um so it was a lot tougher already and we had all these extra things as well that we weren't being told before like like training in the gym for example um 
yeah, we heard, oh, we maybe we should be training in the gym and things like that, but we didn't really, we weren't forced to do it. Whereas um, in Italy, we were forced to do a certain amount of hours or they told us we'd be thrown out of the club. Um, there was stamina training uh, every week, stamina training where they'd get us to dance rounds and rounds and rounds and do lots of exercises and stuff just to, you know, uh, to, to strengthen us in all these different ways technically but then also to get our heart rates going we were measured with our heart rates we had all these machines on us all the time um even when there was let's say there was a competition in Singapore or something like that they would work out the time difference so that we would be practicing our finals um at the same time as it would be in Singapore when it got to the competition for a few weeks beforehand so we got ourselves into the time difference kind of um, thing a few weeks beforehand. So we might have been doing finals at 4 a.m. in the morning some weeks because that would be the time that we'd be dancing when we go to Singapore. Um, it was, yeah, it it was a lot. We were in that studio from, I'm going to say, about seven, half seven in the morning till 11 at night with just, say, one hour break for uh, for lunch. And as like as you got better and better and progressed in your career obviously then you have to start teaching to then earn your money to get your lessons your to, to pay for your private lessons so in that we also had to add the teaching as well um, so sometimes we'd spend a whole day like practicing in the morning then stamina practice then gym technical practice our own practice then um then a lesson with one of our coaches or a guest teacher then a group practice and then we'd have to teach after the group practice because that's the only time we could do it um, so the days were absolutely filled with dance and with anything to do with our dancing career, like every single day. And our coaches were so uh, strict with us that we were taught, you know, we can't have more than four days off a year. Um, which looking back, I go, oh, we probably could have had. But it was, <laughs> it, it was very much like, you know, if we miss a day, if we've worked in such detail of how much to rotate our left side in degrees on the day before and then take a day off, it's not going to be in our body anymore. Our bodies might have changed a bit and our, our, mus our muscle memory of, of it has changed. Um, so we were taught very much that you shouldn't have too much time off. And so at a moment when you're on the side of the floor, about to walk on onto the floor in the final of some huge championship, what did that intensity of training do for your mindset in terms of how confident you felt about the performance you're about to deliver? I feel like I could dance a bit freer. Uh, we'll talk about freedom later on, but like a bit freer because you know that you've done the work. You know that you've done that in. So if you go to Blackpool, for example, and Blackpool's well known for its long music, like you have to dance for two, two and a half minutes nonstop and then five dances in the semi and five in the semi-final and then five dances in the final. Um, beforehand, I'd have been like, oh, I hope I can get through this. Having been at the school in Italy, having known that I do that every week, more than that, sometimes we dance six minute dances and just have to keep going, knowing that I've, I'm able to dance and keep going with six minutes for five dances each time. It's really calming to then go, oh, well, two minutes or two and a half minutes would be easy then. It'll just fly by. Um, same with the technical stuff. The hours that you do, the more hours you do on the technical stuff, the more that it's in your body, the more that then you don't have to 
think about it when you actually go out and do your performance. You've done the practice and your mind knows that you are able to do it. Tell me about the exercise called Tortura. <gasps> That's the one on the, on your toes, isn't it? Is it? I can't remember. The, oh, my gosh. Yeah, tor, Tortura, which obviously it means torture. What was it? Stand on your toes and not balance uh, and not wobble um, for a certain amount of time. Now, yeah, there is we did that in group practices and in group uh, performance practices. But I think the one time I do actually remember is um, that really stands out is that I it was when I started dancing with uh, Paolo, who was six times world champion already. Um, so I feel like I had to, I had to step up my game really quickly because I went from being sixth in the amateur category to dance with this uh, this uh, six times world champion and so a lot of lessons were on me obviously but my Russian coach she got me to stand barefoot on the marble floor not even on the wooden sprung floor on the hard marble cold floor for an hour and a half um, with my heels off the floor my knees slightly bent and she was on the floor and if I wobbled or if a heel went down she actually had a horse whip and would whip my ankles um and it didn't matter if I was crying it didn't matter if I was cramping she was not having any excuse I had to stay there for an hour and a half and that is why it's called torture and how did it feel being in that environment when when you think back to what it felt like at the time what were you thinking that was obviously the moment where things got tougher dancing with someone who was who was uh, that high level um it wasn't pleasant i'm not going to say it's pleasant but you kind of the way that it had been in, installed in our brains um through the years of being there and through the years of academy it just felt like this is what you have to do to become a champion this is the stuff this is me working hard um looking back yeah probably i was i wasn't the happiest um, but I was still determined and I look at it as though, you know, if I hadn't have gone through these kind of tortura, through this torture and through this way of training, would I be where I am today? Probably not. If I hadn't have stayed there for the hour, for the hour and a half with my ankles, would my ankles have been strong enough to do a perfect closing of the feet in a natural turn in a waltz in the world championship? Maybe not, you know? Talking about in this phase then your spirit of competition so you said when you were little you, you weren't a natural competitor but at this stage when you were british champion you're working towards being european champion and world champion how competitive were you personally i'm extremely competitive no, even now i'm extremely competitive in anything um but i yeah that was uh, dancing with with a six times world champion and being surrounded by, as well, in the school, all our rivals, really. We had a lot of uh, other world champions there and our, our rivals and just being against them all these times for, for all these years, every single day, seeing how much they do and how hard they're working and what results they're getting and what we're getting, who's beating who and who's in. A, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I am a completely different person. Um, to how I was when I was a kid like honestly I would never have thought looking how I used to be as a child I would never have thought I've turned into I would have turned into the person that I am today competitive wise and also strength and courage wise um, and confidence wise as well there, there was so much stuff that I went through in that in that school it 
that people don't don't realize and and don't know like I was speaking to my boyfriend's um parents last week and we was talking about the fact that I there was one time we went to Belgium to compete and we had no money um to after the competition to to book a hotel to stay in a hotel so we had to go to straight to the airport it was snowing the airport was closed we and it opened at 6 a.m this was after the competition so we got there about 1 a.m we had to open up some cardboard boxes that were in the storeroom and huddle together to try and keep warm all through the night just to then get home because we didn't have enough money to stay in a hotel there's things like me going to going off to Canada by myself to teach um things like me taking myself off to Taiwan for a week to teach by myself like my mum would never even now I don't think she even believes that I could ever be able to do that um things like nearly missing a flight so I needed to get I needed a taxi but there was no taxis or I needed a bus and there was no buses so I just this guy just asked me he was like do you need a lift and I just hopped in the car with a random guy in America by myself to get from one airport to the other to, to catch a flight um all of this stuff like has made me so strong now and people who know me would would if if they didn't know this stuff they probably wouldn't believe that I am this kind of stronger person because I have been through all of this um and the way that I've been trained and everything like that because I think sometimes I'm quite just a happy jolly little person and they and they think I'm quite weak with it or a little bit of a pushover it's really interesting because for people that don't know the dance world and they think you know somebody who was world champion in a professional sport well you know you probably have a um you know a chauffeur driven car to pick you up at the airport or you know you probably have you know all sorts of the trappings that come with being a successful probably reasonably wealthy you know professional competitor if you were a tennis player or a golfer or something like that what does it look like to be you know a high you know a high level professional competitive ballroom dancer in terms of the money oh in terms of the money um well if you're a high high level you can uh, you can earn a lot of money through teaching and through um shows when you do shows you can earn quite a lot but in terms of like prize money I wouldn't say that it's anywhere not even close to being near um other high level sports people in in different sports like I think maximum maximum that I think we won a lot for the uh world dance sport game anything else even like the world championship I don't think it was even over a thousand euro ever so and that's right at the top so I think mainly all these millions of dancers who are trying to get to the top are actually paying themselves to go and do competitions and get a result um, so in terms of like competition money, nothing, uh, really. Um, but in term, if you are a top level dancer, you can earn a lot from teaching and, uh, shows. But and then you also then have to pay out for the cost of your travel, your accommodation, your lessons, your outfits, all of that. Absolutely. And it's so, it's so expensive. I'll be honest. I, my mum and dad had to help me until I was about 26, 27, um, because I, I couldn't do it and because I was in the school with as we've said so many there's kind of like a, a tier kind of way in the school it's, it's too difficult to explain on the podcast but you've got your, your different levels of where you're at so until you're right up 
in the second or the first level, you can't really earn that much. And people don't want to really come to you for lessons. If you're in that school and that's where you live and train, and they've got the possibility there to have lessons with our coaches, then on the second tier, the lessons with the world champions, and then on the third year, the third tier, maybe like lessons with people who are in the semi-final. When you're in like the 48, no one's going to, the top 48 in the world, no one's going to book lessons with you. So you're not earning anything. You don't earn anything uh, when, you're, when you're down in those tiers um, over there. And you're paying out so much for your weekly lessons and you have to have at least probably four a week with the two coaches. And then you've got your technical lessons with the guy who, the main technique book guy. Uh, you've got your um, lessons with the personal trainer to pay out. You've got your academy day to pay out. You've got your group sessions. You've got your stamina sessions. You've got all of this to pay out and you're not earning a single penny. I, I remember there was some times when me and my boyfriend at the time were living off like the crackers, just packets of crackers, because that's all we could afford. Um, or there was, I, there was definitely another week as well, another, well, I say a week, month, few months, that I just lived off muesli, because I couldn't afford anything. I'd just buy muesli um, and just have it three times a day because I couldn't afford anything else and, and, and you know you feel bad of course your parents if that if if my parents knew that I was living off that they'd be like no 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 I have some money but you feel bad constantly asking for parents uh for your parents money and there was also a time where uh my ex-boyfriend smoked as well and we didn't have any literally zero money to get from where we lived to the dance studio so he had he was I remember him trying to sell his cigarettes to get just two euro to get us like well four euro two euro each to uh to get us to to the studio because we didn't have any money it's mental it's so interesting to hear that story so at that time when you were living off crackers or muesli and that's what you could afford to eat what were your results at that time performance wise i mean that must have been when we were getting to around, I think top 12 in the amateur category, maybe 24, 12. Yeah. In the world and in the British championship. I think we won around that time. I don't know. I can't remember. But no, but, there was, but, but that brings it to life. So you're, you're probably British champion. Yeah. Like British national champion. Yeah. And in the top 12 in the world and you couldn't afford to eat. No. The top 12 in the world in the amateur section. And that is why we had so many tiers above us because there's the, professional category as well and then you had the world champions in the amateur and then the, you know that you go down you go down you go down so nobody wanted lessons with us at that time plus being in Italy being a British champion people were like well that doesn't you know it's not very appealing to to the Italians they want the Italian champion do you know what I mean so we didn't we didn't actually earn that much even though we were getting good results so when you look back to that time and you think of the moment where you were not at your best technically, but at your best in terms of feeling like I really love what I'm doing right now, like in, in your best self in, in that part of your career. What, what do you think? I was very happy at the beginning when I first went over because everything was new, obviously, and it felt great. Um, the, the higher I got in terms of results, obviously things got harder. And it gave me more anxiety and it was 
yeah, things got harder. But the, if I think of when I'm when I was happy, I had a really good relationship with my dance partner that I was dancing with at the time, and the fact that I was there, I thought, it's weird because I had this conversation with another girl, English girl who moved to Italy as well. The fact that you're there in a different country, away from the other people that you've competed against before, you feel like you're doing something so different. It gives you this weird feeling. Not necessarily, it doesn't have necessarily mean that you're better or anything like that, but you are, you're just away from that. You've decided to break out of that pack and go into this other place. Um, and that's how I felt the first few years there, being in this sunny Italy, living there, speaking another language, being around all Italians and all these other people from around the world who were coming, uh, who were coming to to the school and practicing alongside other world champions and things like that. And I think you know the first up to about twenty, up to my early twenties, that was my happiest time. And actually you know, toughest in terms of money, getting by kind of thing, but happy. I was going and I was trained in a certain way and I just felt cool. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and you loved the competing bit? You loved the artistry of the dance? What What was it about the dancing that you loved? I look, yeah, I, I, com- competing bit, yeah, yeah. Um, but the the fact that I was dancing differently as well. I was dancing differently to how I'd ever done. And people were allowing me to. Uh, I, was, I was able to explore. We were able to explore with the coach our different styles of steps and taking risks. And everything that I'd seen that I wanted to do, I was doing. And I had a, a dance partner as well who, uh, who he didn't practice as much as maybe we should have done, but he let me dance how I wanted to dance. And that got us to a certain level as well um so like but yeah I had I had a, a nice dance partner and did you want to be like somebody else did you aspire to be like another dancer or did you aspire to be something unique I looked up to uh, a woman who actually was uh, a coach in another school actually called Alessandra Butcherelli she was my idol because they really 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 thought out the box as a female as a female dancer, she really thought out the box and did different stuff that nobody would have ever done before. Um, so I wanted to be not the same as her. I didn't want to dance like her, but I wanted to do that. what she was doing. I wanted to take the risk as a female dancer and um, and do different things which make people could love or hate, but at least they want they they wanted to. Ha- I wanted to have give people the feeling that I had watching her, which was, what is she going to do next? Like, when she walks on the floor, oh, my gosh, what is she going to do? Because something fabulous is about to happen, and I don't know what it's going to be. That's the feeling that I wanted to give other people. And do you remember the first time you achieved that? I don't know about the first time. What I did love was coming back from Italy, because I did represent England for a long time. Um, even though I was dancing with an Italian, with an Italian, so coming back to dance the British Championships and seeing my competitors from before, and seeing the judges and the the professionals that were sat around the floor, um, seeing them around there and coming out and dancing a slightly different style and taking risks that gave me a real buzz. It's either you're gonna love it or hate it, but I'm gonna make you watch me. Um, so coming back to England, dancing differently, 
that I absolutely love, but I can't remember a specific first time. That's interesting. We, you know, that, that they're going to love it or they're going to hate it because they didn't all love it, did they? They didn't all love the new style. No, because I think some people very traditionalist. Some people, uh, you know, seeing seeing things that are new and risky. Um, sometimes, you know, if it if, if oh, this sounds really up myself and really <laughs> anyway, but if they don't understand how you're doing it themselves, if they don't understand it. It's probably something that they don't particularly like. I'm going to put it like this. For example, I was on Strictly, uh, and when I was on Strictly, there wasn't the couple's choice. Um, now there's a couple's choice, and I don't particularly like it. I don't particularly like it because, in my opinion, it takes it away from the show dance, but also I don't understand those styles of dance. If you ask me to do contemporary dance or whatever, I, I can't do it, I don't understand it myself. So what do I say? That I don't like it. And I think that's how some people in England saw our style of dancing. We did stuff that they didn't quite understand or know how to do themselves. So automatically it was like, I don't like it. But I kind of liked the fact that they don't like that, like didn't like it. Isn't, is that weird? I don't know. I just liked to be different. And I like to stand out. Um, and don't get me wrong. Some of our risk taking was wrong. It, it, it was rubbish. You know, oh, we, we, let's try doing a step like this with my neck like this. And it, it was probably too far and it was a bit rubbish. It didn't work. Um, but the excitement of that was, was so much for me. It was I, I buzzed off it. I absolutely loved it. Do you feel like you're a rebel at heart? I wouldn't say I'm a rebel. I'd say I like to be different. I do like to stand out. I do. I, and maybe that's a competitive thing. I don't know. I just I do like to be different. And I don't know. I feel like I've always liked to be slightly different because that's why, partly why, I'm going to say, not fully why, but I also went the ballroom route rather than the Latin with, you know, I like to be different to what my, the rest of my family's done. Maybe that's also to not be compared or whatever, but also because I just do like to be different. For the longest time in, in, in this environment in Italy with all of these people coaching you, the people that you were around this environment that you were in brought out the best in you brought out your best dancing brought out this ability to create something very special and different and new um, and you were advancing yourself in, in in many different ways and then at some point you you changed partners so so you had this opportunity to dance with paolo who was the multiple time world champion and and as you described before you said that things changed at that point because the expectation was different so talk to me a little bit about how that in how that felt how that shift felt um to to start you know going for a much higher level of performance and a higher level of competition results yeah i'm just going to be open and honest it was, it's it was a lot it was a heck of a lot of pressure immediately put on me um to be at, to get to his standard very quickly um, you know, obviously a six times world champion, he didn't want to lose the seventh. And now he's just taken someone on who was sixth in the amateur category, not the professional. Um, so there was there was a lot, a lot of, of pressure. Training got harder. Even the way I was spoke to was tougher. Um, we can say it's tough love from coaches. Uh, you know, I was told on a, a regular basis, you know, if, if, if he danced with that chair over there, it'd be the same thing. 
um things like that and maybe it was tough love maybe because you know I had been with that school for so long at that point maybe they knew that I work off things like a, like a fight if they tell me I can't do something they know that I work that way I work harder to to prove them right so uh, you know I uh, the way they spoke to me including dance partners including including the coaches was it was it was it got tough it did get tough um I needed therapy every morning I would go to therapy which helped um I had I got eating disorders because you know I was suddenly expected to be a professional world champion what that what does that mean you're the best in everything um so you know it just took my coach to say you need to lose a bit of weight for me to take that to the extreme I took it to the absolute extreme and lived off 11 espressos a day and I had eating disorders um but I kept going kept going I uh, it caused all sorts of problems that like we won't go into that too much but um even with you know practice I wasn't allowed really to speak um because it was considered wasting time so if if my dance partner felt that there was something wrong him being the leader and the more experienced would say it and if I had disagreed I wasn't really allowed to say it back because it was couldn't to say anything back because it, it was considered wasting time if we argued if we're arguing that's wasting time where whereas our rivals whoever was were competing against for being world champion for the next world championships probably weren't arguing we were told so they were practicing and they were getting ahead of us so I wasn't really allowed to speak I remember one time having my mouth salivates um I had to do everything that Paula said uh in terms of uh, you know he could he could call me at 11 o'clock at night and say you need to get up because we need to get into studio and practice till 2 a.m because uh, I'm not happy with the way you did this that or the other there was always something wrong um not in a bad way well, it can, it can be considered bad. There was always, you know, it could always be better. There was always, there was never really a moment where we were like, oh, yeah, you did that really well. It was like, no, we need to improve on this, 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 this. And things were looked at and worked on in much more minute detail to the nearest degree. And, you know, whilst he was teaching, he'd say, you need to go and do the torture exercise, for example, for another hour and a half. And I would have to do it in front of the mirror so that he could see that I was doing it um things like that I also would then get more teaching opportunities obviously I'm dancing with a world champion but his dance partner from before was still working together with him and she retired so it was kind of three of us in this kind of uh teaching trio um but so then it was considered better and more organized if one person had the diary and that was Paolo so if if he had the diary then he would sort out who's teaching what uh when and stuff but also you know I had to be careful how I spoke or if I upset anybody like because I wasn't in charge of the diary I would find myself with no lessons the next day to teach if I if I if I had said something out of order or whatever so you know I was on my tiptoes the whole time walking on eggshells yeah a real shift in the um in the feeling of 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 training feeling of working with somebody and you know a lot of people who would have heard like high performance podcasts and you you you, you, you when you listen to people who've become a world champion often they 
there is something a little bit obsessive about the way they think and the way they train because of course become the best in the world when everybody else who are you know the most talented are also working incredibly hard it can be a bit nuts in in a certain kind of way in the way that you know there are many people who become very very good but still in a way that is just enjoyable in every way there's a lot of people who who've gone through that experience of going to reach my ultimate goal i do find myself in a situation that is often not fun yeah in in, in the way that it, that it was before but then you're describing here some some elements where by the nature of you're in a team of two a particularly intense type of environment it's very if you're on your own becoming world champion if you're a sprinter or something that's one thing or if you're in a team of 11 or 15 that's something something very tense about being just you and one other person it, it was it was intense it was very very intense especially because of the difference of level that we were at, at that time and so I had to just go with whatever he said because he knew best he was the sixth time world champion what was I going to say oh no you're wrong do you know what I mean um so there's a lot of times where I was so tired so anxious from all eyes on me all eyes on me because why did he choose to dance with me do you know what I mean why uh let's have a look you know there's a lot of jealousy and stuff like that but and it, and you mentioned it started to impact your your resilience and mental health in some ways with anxiety or and you talked about eating disorders and so on so you know it, it had real impact on on you in that period of time absolutely and I think it doesn't make me sad it just it was so tough when I say tough, I mean, it was really, really tough. Physically, mentally, just everything. That that time when I, when I was trying to win a world championship, for me, you know, it wasn't particularly like that. I couldn't go, oh, yeah, it was so exciting. It was so glamorous. It was so happy. Because it wasn't. It was, it was the opposite of that. It was such hard work. Such hard work. And dra draining. It was draining. And because I was dancing with someone who was so good, so good and he knew what was right more than me and I just accepted it but like even when we we won the European Championship I remember come off and he wasn't happy with the way that I danced so it wasn't a happy day you know when we won it wasn't it wasn't great because because he'd been unhappy with with how I danced and you just won the European Championship yeah so take me into the day December 2013 um, we were there um, in Murano in northern Italy that's the day we did win the uh, world championship finally I mean there's a video on YouTube and you can see that I'm not like yay I'm not I'm not giving it like oh my god we won the world championship after at that point what was it 26 years of training and everything that I'd gone through in the past few years um, and also a few years before that training wise and stuff like you can see that I'm quite serious on the podium and I think through my mind I'm going was that worth it and also I was going I was also probably going did I dance my best and then also in my mind I'm going okay that's that done next it's, it was a weird day, so weird. 
so flipping weird. Obviously, I'm so grateful and so happy that we were, obviously, and afterwards, you know, when I saw my parents and stuff like that, celebrations and stuff like that, but that moment on the podium, you can watch it on YouTube, I am serious, because <laughs> I had so many things going through my mind. Do you wish you hadn't? Do you wish you hadn't had that journey, and that, do you wish you'd stopped before starting that partnership? No. I believe everything, I am one of them people who believes everything in life happens for a reason. And I was meant to go through all that and I was meant to win the world championship. That was my goal. I loved dancing. I loved performing. And once I'd moved to Italy, that was my goal, to become world champion. That was it. Um, and however hard the times were, it w- if, I, if I'd have given up or if I'd have answered back or if I'd have done anything different I wouldn't be where I am today in terms of dancing in terms of performing in terms of work ethic uh because even now like in my musical theatre uh career you know I'm there I I won't take a day off even if I've got the sniffles or or anything like that like I and I have to be on death I popped a calf muscle on the second show of of flash dance and was told that I needed to be out of action by for three weeks and I was like no, because I've trained with people in that school who've had a broken bone in their foot and carried on dancing for five years before they got it sorted. So if they can do that, then I can do this. So all of that, what I went through, um, has, has, has helped my work ethic. Um, it's made me appreciate things more, like working in happier environments and stuff like that. Uh, what else? Like... Uh, strength and courage courage to carry on courage to pick myself up um it's given me all of that and I would not be the Joanne that I am today without my training there I probably wouldn't have got on Strictly I probably from Strictly then it wouldn't have helped me to bring I wouldn't have springboarded to boarded to musical theatre so there was literally nothing that I would change about my past so that moment of transition um from one partnership to the next. So the, the transition into this partnership that became the one where you won the world championship. If you could port yourself back in time and put your arm around the shoulder of that Joanne Clifton and say something to her, you said you wouldn't change what you did, but what would you say to that Joanne Clifton? I'd put my arm around her and I'd say, remember why you started this um, and remember how much you love it. Because no matter what, however, like, whatever's happened before or after in the training room or not, but when when I go on that floor, I love performing. Performing is, is what I do. Um, so the buzz of that, remember the buzz of the performing. Close your eyes and imagine yourself winning that gold medal. And what will that gold medal, which now is now on my parents' uh, table in their house, and every time I look at it, I'm like, I achieved that. Remember what that's going to feel like. And just keep going. I what got me through those times was remembering that and also was my dad always telling me and instilling 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 current don't know the way but telling me from a young age that I'm invincible so I even at one point wanted to get a little tattoo of saying invincible on my arm um that and also it sounds really weird but my but my granddad was fought in the war and I always would bring my in the tough times over there in Italy when I'd be like gosh if 
if my granddad can get through a war, seeing his friends being shot down and stuff like that, I can get through this. And it would give me the strength to get to carry on. And I also took any defeats or any bad words or any any sentence that made me feel unappreciated. I took it as more of a challenge at that time. Working up to world champion, I I was I would take it as a, I'll show you, and the same as when the guy in England stopped dancing with me. That was the same attitude that I've had the whole time. Okay, you think I can't do it? You think I'm the same as that sofa over there? I'll show you. And I would go in an hour earlier by myself to practice. Interesting. So something that I think is is uh, striking here is we've talked about these incredible stories that most people will not know about you. And we haven't yet come to the unlock moment. So this this unlock moment is a moment, a real flash of remarkable clarity about the path ahead. And for you, your unlock moment happened after you'd won the world championship. So talk us for a little bit about what was it that brought you this clarity that helped you decide what happened? Well, as I said before, there's a kind of there was a kind of tier system in the school. Um, we won't go into the details, but it got like to about seven months later now I'd had the offer for Strictly and burn the floor so I knew I was going to go and do that but I decided to stay at the school and train and teach until until I was going to go off and do that um but we were at this training camp and someone said something to me which basically put me back in a tier now bear in mind this is after I've won a world champion so I was the current world champion at this time but I I was put in a lower tier now whether that was a strategy to keep me at the school uh, and not going to Strictly or or not whatever it was I snapped I had had enough of feeling undervalued not respected um yeah I, I just something inside me snapped and that very day of being having being told that information that made me snap that very day I called my parents I said I'm coming home I can't I got my because uh, we had someone working for us uh, I got that secretary that um I said will you cancel all my teaching because I'm going I went up to my coach and I said thank you for these 14 years of training and getting me to world champion but I'm letting you know that I'm leaving right now I went, I got my pupils to drive me to the airport and I sent a text to anybody I'd have, I'd had any problems with and just was very honest with them. This is what really happened, blah, 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 blah. Uh, made peace with myself with that, got on that plane, I got off the plane, feeling of freedom and that I could breathe and this excitement of what was going to happen next was I can't even describe it. I can't describe it. But I just snapped. That was it. I'd had enough. I'd had enough. I'd, I'd won. I'd won. I had nothing else to prove to anybody. Uh, and I wasn't going to have any anybody else undervalue me, miss, you know, say, say anything bad to me. I was certainly never, ever, and I swore to myself on that plane, never, ever going to take, you know, be under control of somebody else, especially a man. Um, I was going to take control of my own life, my own 
way now it, that was going was going to take me forward i was going to do what i want and i was going to be happy and i am did you see that situation coming or was it out of the blue the snap was out of the blue because obviously i am so i was and i'm still grateful uh, to the school for what what they where they got me to uh i know i wasn't happy I wasn't at my happiest, but I thought I would get through those months of leading up to 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 changing my life and going on strictly and stuff like that. Uh, I thought I'd get through that, you know, and it would be fine. But just rediscovering, still, still undervalued at a world champion level. No, I, I just I just went and I just got on the plane back to England and that was that. Never, I've never been back. I've never, You've never been back. No. I've never been back. I'm in touch with people from the school, very good friends with actually one of my biggest rivals, Tiasha, who now I have my own podcast with, um, which is great. Like I see her now and she, we come over and she, we do workshops together and we catch up and stuff like that. And it, it's wonderful. So I'm still friends with people there, but I haven't stepped foot back in the training room and I've never once spoken to my male coach. Um, I've spoken to my Russian female coach like we'll send messages every so often happy birthdays happy Christmas how are you getting on kind of thing um never once spoken to my male coach again unpack this freedom you talked about so you had this overwhelming sense of freedom from the plane because I felt like without being beheaded I just felt I've done it I've done I'm a world champion in my own right he didn't win it by himself you know I won it too I'm a world champion and that I had nothing to prove to anyone anymore in the ballroom dancing world. Nothing. You know, all my all my life I probably felt that I had a little bit to prove whether it was right from childhood, you know, where Kevin was maybe slightly known as the more talented outgoing one and I needed more work or whatever. Didn't need to prove that anymore. Uh, whether it was, oh, Paola's taken on a an amateur girl uh, to dance with. Didn't need to prove that anymore. I won. Um, yeah. Any person that said, you know, there were people who said, oh, she's too much of a shy person, or too much of a home bird. She'll never last in Italy. 14 years, did that. Didn't need to prove that to anyone anymore. Oh, she's too shy, too introvert. She will never uh, have the courage to do this, that or the other. Travel on her own or go teach and do lectures by herself. Done that. Didn't need to prove that anymore. And for some reason, I was just like, I've done it, I've done it. And now it's a new chapter and my life has opened up. I don't need to depend on anybody because I've done it. And all of that hard work, all the sweat, all the blood, all the tears, because there was blood <laughs> and there was a lot of tears. All of that that I went through, I was like, I got through that and I've done it. And that's made me a strong person and I feel like I can conquer the world now on my own. And that's the feeling that I had when I got off the plane. And what did it do for your sense of anxiety? I, no, that was lifted. I wasn't anxious at all. I, obviously, I had strictly to look forward to. So I wasn't anxious in terms of, oh, where's my career going to go next? I'm completely without anything. Um, I didn't have pressure. There wasn't, there wasn't pressure coming, coming out of that school. Coming, coming away from it, sorry, not out of, coming away from it, uh, the pressure was lifted. Um, 
I think, you know, it's left me with good things, though. It's left me with really good things. As I said before, work ethic. Work ethic, strength, courage. Stuff like that. What do you want people to take from your experience? And I know before we've talked about, you know, the impact you want to have on other women. Especially women. Um, I want them to, to know that you can reach your goal. And it, even if it gets hard, it, you can get through it. You can have the strength if you just have the right mindset. I mean, if you, if you completely don't love your passion anymore, you, you're, you, and, you, and you, you just don't, like, you've fallen out of it, then that's fine as well. Walk away. Um, but it's the fact that you can. You can, if you've got a goal, you can get there. No matter how hard, and no matter what things you can, you you have to go through, and then have the courage to then. Once you've done that, you don't have to be stuck there. You don't have to forever live under anyone. Once you've done what you personally want to achieve, not what other people want for you from you, what you personally want to achieve. Once you've done that, if you still love it, have the courage to walk away if you're not happy. because then the opportunities are endless. And you'd learn from, you can take all that you've been through and learn from it and turn it into something positive. Don't always leave something, something that maybe, as I said to you, I wasn't, I wasn't the happiest that I've ever been. So I could just look back on that and think of it as a terrible time and just associate it with all the negative stuff. Or you switch it and you can turn it into something positive. I had to go through that to get where I am today and I would not change a single thing. I I think I hear you claiming it, claiming your own achievements, claiming your success from that time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm, it's not just about the medals. Actually, the medals are probably the least thing here. I did, I did win and that was my goal. And of course, you know, I, I didn't want to give up before that. But then my main achievements were with myself, learning to be strong, learning to be courageous, learning to be independent. Um, learning to just have the strength to get back up when you're knocked down. And when you're knocked down daily, confidence-wise, just because everybody's eyes are on you, it's hard. Tell us now, on when you're on stage in a performance, how does that mindset that you developed in the ballroom world translate uh, to being in a musical theatre environment? Musical theatre is so different anyway, because for me, um, because we're not just t- two of us dancing and there isn't that kind of pressure still of like, oh, is my dance partner still thinking that I'm dancing okay or am I disturbing him or her or vice versa, whatever. Um, musical theatre, what I love about it is that nobody's bigger than the than the show itself. So we come together as a company, no matter what role that you you're in whether you're a lead or whether you're third tree from the left um but it has to be an amazing show and I love the buzz of that coming together and um and as a company making the audience feel something and giving them you know this escapism for for two hours um doesn't mean that I'm still not competitive like I know that musical theatre's it's not a competition, really. Um, it's just putting on a great show for the audience. 
but it doesn't mean I'm not competitive anymore. It doesn't mean like I've lost that at all. I am extremely competitive, but I'm competitive with myself, um, which sounds really, you know, one of them things to say, but I am. Like, I, there's no way I can go on stage ever, even if I'm feeling slightly under the weather or if I've got an injury or whatever and somebody tells me, oh, just take it easy. There's no way I can take it easy because I feel, I feel like I'm not, I'm not doing my best and I have to do my best every time. I need to better myself every, every performance. And if I don't, I get angry at myself. What's a moment in your theatre career when you think back and you think, that was a moment when it was just right. I was in the right place. Like it was, that was it. If I could bottle that, like that, that would be what I'd bottle. There's one moment that does stand out, but it's not in the sense of, oh, that was my best performance because I try to do that every night or sometimes twice a day. Um, and sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm not. But um, there isn't one in that sense. But in in a certain sense, there's always my very first show in a UK tour. So this is, you know, I'd done fringe shows before that, smaller shows. Got a role in Thoroughly Modern Millie as Millie um, in a UK tour. Now, I'd just come off of Strictly. So the people in the audience know, knew me as a dancer, right? And And I know that there's a whole thing about whether people are stunt casted, whether they're trained or not trained, whether it's right or wrong, that you get the role if you've been on TV or not. Um, but what what people don't know is that I am trained. Uh, I just trained privately. I just haven't got a big uh, known theatre school on my th- on my CV. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, we know she can, whether it's on Twitter or whatever, we know she can dance, but it's probably hired just because of Strictly, but she can't sing or act. And what... Um, Millie starts as is the doors open after the overture I've got my back to the audience with two suitcases in my hand and I turn round I'm on completely on the stage by myself and I sing don't dance so Millie first big open night turning round and being able to just sing and show people that I can act and sing and I'm not just a dancer then that was a really important moment for me. Really, really important moment. And that was kind of like a moment where, when I realised I was in a proper big theatre that, yeah, I had made that big old leap at 33. A uh, change of career. Uh, <laughs> a change of career at 33 um, um, from being just a dancer. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to remember you for? I want people to remember me for being a great performer, for my performances, but also being a nice person with it. Um, Obviously performing because I'm a performer, or what we've talked about that, you know, that's what I live for. Um, And obviously to be known, have a great one, making the audience feel something raw, something real, um, that. But in terms of being like a nice person, and it's not so much like because of me trying to be appreciated by other people. It's not so much that. Uh, and whether this comes from, you know, my grandma always saying, remember where you came from, you come from Grimsby, uh, or, wh- or whether it was how I had been treated in the past and I didn't like it and I wouldn't like to be treated like that again or to ever treat someone like that. 
whether it's that or that, I just fully believe that the energy that you have, whatever you put out, that's what you're going to get back. And I want to carry on living in my happy world. I'm a happy, I consider myself a really happy person. Now, don't get me wrong, of course, you know, when there's difficult times, especially now in the theatre world, I'm going to go through you know, not having a job and things, there's anxieties. Of course, there's all of that. But I'm so ha- I'm just a happy person in general. Like I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking me not working say right now, not as a oh my gosh, you know I'm a failure. Um, I'm taking it as oh my gosh, this is really exciting. What's gonna come next? And I feel like because I'm like that, then something nice is gonna come. Um, so that's why I want to be women as nice as well because I think the energy that you put out, you get back. I know you're an inspiration to so many people, a lot of young women, a lot of young girls coming into the dance world, coming into the acting world as well. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For world champion dancer Joanne Clifton, it was recognising that the only validation that mattered was how she felt about herself. And that gave her the courage and the spirit to forge her own path and craft a new career that led her to where she is today, a much-loved TV and theatre star. Joanne, as ever, it has been a delight to spend time in your company. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Thank you for having me. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotas. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset, available in physical book, ebook, and audiobook formats. Follow me on Instagram and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Join me again soon.